This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. We come to you not from Catherine's back garden, which was the plan, um, but a rainstorm has erupted, which uh, has made made Matt and myself just sit in the car for about 10 minutes until it stopped. So we are in Catherine's living room. It's lovely. It's very convenient for me. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) uh, We're ahead of the uh, the US Open, Matt. Um, This couldn't be less like the US Open if it tried, (laughs) could it, this particular... Room. What are you trying to say about my living room? <laughs> well, there's no. I can't smell any burgers, and I can't. And, and the lifts are working, uh, so it's nothing like the US Open. Uh, and there's no, there's not, no loud people around. It's temperate. Yes, it's temperate. There's no humidity. No. So for six but there's days. There's also time, no buzz. No, that's well. We're we're providing the buzz. Okay. Here on the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph. Uh, how are we all doing, folks? Uh, we've had Cincinnati. We've had Madison Keys winning the title over Svetlana Kuznetsova. We've had Daniel Medvedev beating everybody in the world several times over. And uh, after two consecutive finals, winning the title in Cincinnati. He has been amazing. Uh, how are we all doing? We're doing all right. Sort of got over my Montreal jet lag, just in time to go to New York. So... <laughs> Brilliant. You're not really planning that out, but there we are. And how about you, Matt? I'm well. I've just about dried off after getting drenched a minute ago. You David, did get... David, gave, David came to my rescue. It I was, was unfortunate timing. I oh, was well. walking along the street and suddenly David's car was there. And <laughs> the next moment I was in it and dried. Dripping all over my car. That's, That's fine. It's like the start of a film, isn't it? Yes. Well, that, these, are the, these are the lengths we go to for you here on the Tennis Podcast. Uh, thanks for joining us. We've got lots to talk about today, so let's get cracking on with it. We've got the US Open coming up in just a few days' time as Catherine says she's swapping this lovely serene setting for the buzz the razzmatazz of Flushing Meadows in New York in when are you going two days time I go in two days time yeah right okay so Catherine's going on Wednesday Uh, I'll be there at the weekend Matt's not coming sorry Matt serious FOMO (laughs) (laughs) but next year the goal is with the Kickstarter crowdfunding is to get Matt to New York with this here on the tennis podcast how on earth are we supposed to create buzz with no Matt I don't know how are we supposed to do anything these days we've become so (laughs) over-reliant genuinely worried about it (laughs) we don't do any research anymore at all we just expect to know stuff uh, courtesy of Matt Um, and uh, yeah we there's so much to get through today we've also obviously had our Andy Murray show we'll get Catherine's reaction to that because Matt and I were talking about that on Monday's show and we've got my big interview to preview which is going out on Wednesday 
I'll tell you at the end of the show who's, who it's with. Uh, so, first of all, Cincinnati men's and women's tournaments. Let's start with the women's tournament, which has I mean, resulted in two more additions to the mix. Oh. <laughs> right. Was Madison Keys not already in the mix? No way. Was she? I think she's always in the mix at majors, isn't she? She's major keys. Haven't you got to she win is. one first? I mean, or at least be winning no, stuff on the way. there are people that haven't won slams mix. that are in the mix. In the women's, anyway. Possibly in the men's. More mm. to come. Interesting. This is a dangerous place to start, I think. <laughs> it is a bit. But, I mean, look, let's move on from the mix. I think Madison Keys is always in the mix at majors. Okay. Especially New York, where yeah. final, semi-final. Absolutely. Her run to the title is just extraordinary. First round, Garbinia Muguruza, Daria Kasatkina, Simona Halep, Venus Williams, Sophia Kenin, and then Svetlana Kuznetsova. And she hit... Uh, well, it f- I think it was at four, four, five in the second set. The stat swooshed up that she had hit forty winners in that fine in the two sets of that final against Svetlana Kuznetsova. So it probably ended on at close to fifty, and she was not making errors. Mm. I mean, quite obviously, if she plays like that, she is in with a very good shout of winning the U.S. Open. That's obviously just mm. a massive, massive if, but. That's as good as I've seen Madison Keys play. Why? For sure. Why is that? Because we've always known she's spectacular. She's an incredible ball striker, but there was something different about her on the way. To, I mean, look, it was her biggest title for a start, so clearly there's something different. But even the way she was going about doing it was different. It wasn't just like uh, having a great week and it all clicking, and she just played lights out tennis, was it? I think it was the shoes, maybe the source of all her powers they well, were really great trainers I was definitely going to say it was the footwork so that links <laughs> in with the shoes <laughs> they were why aren't trainers it's made me think it's made me spiral in thought about why trainers aren't snazzier in tennis and, and I mean you may be thinking what, what has happened to this podcast suddenly <laughs> we're talking about the shoes when we should be talking about the players the, the, the reason this is particularly momentous is because Catherine is so anti talking about player clothing that this is quite a moment for me. I remember us doing well, an entire show. Well, only because of how show. laced and with all the things and, and how gendered generally discussion of player clothing is. Not because I'm not interested in clothing or because I think it's bad to be interested in clothing, but just because I, it's it's a difficult one to get into and, a, and avoid and sidestep all of those pitfalls. But I really loved Madison Keys's <laughs> snazzy leopard print trainers, and I urged there to be more snazzy trainers in tennis on okay. men and women. Right. Okay. Well, d- just to say, uh, if you go back in the archives about seven years uh, to when we were just trying to work out how to do this show, I did want to do a special on tennis player clothing, and I did. And Catherine put up with it um and i described the jim courier shirt of 1992 that i used to own and wear proudly with its baseball stripes um but catherine was not interested things have got more interesting now though they've you know started dressing canish as a licorice all sort <laughs> think that you know in the 90s it was just baggy white top t-shirt with naff True. pattern slash logo okay so moving on from madison keys's uh shoes <laughs> what were your observations matt because i remember seeing a tweet from you that 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 summed it up pretty neatly for me that 
we were seeing something from her that we we just haven't seen really, not, certainly not consistently before. Yeah, I think the tweet was, when has she been this disciplined? Because Madison Keys has always been capable of hitting winners, but she's not always had the consistency. And I was trying to figure out what had changed. And I did think it was the footwork. She was in the right place to hit the right shot. It's almost a little bit Stan Wawrinka like when he was coming back from his injury he was still he still had all that power but he wasn't in the right place to hit the ball because his footwork wasn't right he was still wasn't trusting his leg and his shots were going all over the place keys hasn't had that kind of injury but she just seems to have improved her footwork um so it was great to watch because she not, she lost none of what made her Madison keys which was the firepower and the ability to hit winners we said about 50 in the final i think she'd hit 70 across the quarters and semis put together and yet she was rallying from the baseline being patient playing with margin and those things together are going to make her really tough to stop I mean as we saw in Cincinnati and I think I think we will see it in New York as well if she plays like that good luck beating Madison Keys when she's playing like that I think yeah um the the thing is I feel like probably several coaches have tried mm. to get her to play like this including Lindsay Damport and if you look at the sheer number of coaches she's had it's, it's a lot. pretty mind-boggling and, and she's had a lot, six to eight coaches and she's gone back now to the coach she had I think when she won Eastbourne in 2014 which is kind of her breakthrough result I think she's back with him I think he's called Juan Juan Tadero. Yeah, that's right and I think she said that yeah as you said lots of people have told her that she needs to be more disciplined and play with more margin but she's realized it for herself now and that's almost more powerful than someone telling you to do it you have to believe it yourself and she knows it now but she also has to trust her legs doesn't she in order to have that base to be able to keep getting to these mm. balls not because a lot of her tennis became panic tennis it, right I can't I'm not winning the point I've got to hit a winner um a bailout of a, a rally but you mentioned once there. I didn't realise that that he used to coach her before. I, I remembered his name, and and I couldn't work out where from. So I looked up all of his players he coached, and she was one of them. And I realised that I commentated on that final, that Eastbourne final for BT Sport back in the day, and that is when she was at her most impressive mm. in my recollection. She. At that time is when you interviewed Brad Gilbert, Catherine, shortly afterwards, because that was in 2014, Eastbourne. Catherine tackled him on his his feud with David yes, Law. Yeah. blocked David afterwards. You got him to unblock me, <laughs> so thanks for that. Um, but you, you got him on Madison Keys, and you got him saying that she will be world number one inside 72 months. No, no, that can't be um, right. No. Inside <laughs> two and a half years. How many is that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not very good at the maths, folks. Um, so, yeah, basically, in, inside two and a half years, <laughs> what am I talking about? It's like six years. Uh, so, what a weird number to pluck. I was thinking about 72 holes because I was listening to the No Laying Up Golf podcast on the way down here. Uh, so, uh, anyway, shout out to them if they're listening. I'm sure they're not. Um, but, yeah, Brad Gilbert um, said that she will be world number one inside two and a half years. Martin and Avratilova, I then interviewed a few months later, who said, I don't even think it'll take that long. So we weren't doing them any favours in terms of, like, just 
quenching the hype here. We were building it up here on the Tennis Podcast. That was mid-2015. Here we are four and a half years later, and she hasn't got near that. She's reached one Grand Slam final at the US Open. She didn't really come close to winning it. Sloane Stevens won it. But she has, as you said, kept knocking at the door at the slams. But it still feels underwhelming based on that 19-year-old I saw in Eastbourne. Yeah, absolutely. Well, she's going to be, well, as of this moment, she is number 10 in the world. And I think the seedings for the US Open are done based on the the rankings today. So, I, I mean, she's not going to be one of the top eight seeds. So that is a danger for for other seeded players, I would say. Um, but she shouldn't be number 10 in the world, should she? I mean, she's behind Arena Sabalenka at number nine. That's... Uh, yeah surprising anyway um she's just starting to play well again Sabalenka by the way um yes but still you know it's taken I think, a while I think her ranking has stayed quite high hasn't it because a lot of what she achieved last year was the back end of the year and those yes. points haven't fallen she off won Wuhan, didn't she, she will mm. she will tumble unless mm. she continues the in the direction as you say David she's been in the last couple of weeks but anyway Madison Keys. yeah I think there's maybe been a bit of I'm possibly putting words in her mouth, but a bit of sort of fatalism and determinism about her attitude towards her own game over the last few years. You know, I'm just a big hitter. You know, movement's never going to be my forte. These are the things I do well. I've just got to stick with them and believe in them rather than thinking maybe I can be something a bit different. Maybe my my game can be a bit more malleable. Maybe movement doesn't have to be a big weakness for me. And it does feel like something is clicked internally for her rather than people telling her um, how they ought to be. And Injuries kept deriding yes. her as well. Wrist didn't injuries, didn't she? And, and she also had the adductor injury mm. at the Australian Open about three years ago when she was almost carried off the court. You and know. I think the US Open final a couple of years ago did probably scar her for a while. You know, she she froze on that occasion. She was playing a fellow first-time Grand Slam finalist. You know, they were both in the same boat, both good friends. And to have all of those parallels going in and then for them to have dealt with that so very differently on the day, I can imagine that would make you feel very insecure and insufficient somehow. Why was why was she able to deal with that and, and not me? I imagine that probably did bring with it some uh, some baggage that it's taken a while to get over i would i would have one reservation having watched the final against kuznetsova and we've talked about how a lot of her confidence is coming from within now and she seems to be understanding her game a lot better however in that final she wasn't reliant on on-court coaching but she did lean on it quite heavily there was she was trailing in both sets to kuznetsova kuznetsova served for both sets she certainly led 5-3 in both sets because Netsova. And Keyes called on Juan Tadera at quite key times. Um, and he was basically saying, you've got to start taking the ball a bit earlier and hitting it at the top of the bounce. And she did exactly that both times she responded to him coming on. So I hope that she'll be able to transition to playing in New York without having that guidance of on-court coaching but we have seen certainly the player that comes to mind most is Pliskova who's had all these great results on the on the WCA tour and not been able to transfer it to a slam so that that would be my one 
reservation. Plus, she can throw in a horror of a performance every mm-hmm. now and again, can't she? She mm. can look like she's going somewhere in a slam and then just throw in an awful performance. Um, yeah. So uh, if Genya Rodina at Wimbledon mm. last year, yeah. that match will live with me for a long time. How somebody that good can play that badly, yeah, is mind-boggling. Yeah. The woman she beat, Svetlana Kuznetsova, in the final is is kind of the opposite in that she's just she has produced I mean she's a hugely talented player I, I was looking back on 2007 when Roger Federer described her as one of her favorite player one of his favorite players he said I really like her game and uh, that was when she'd already won the US Open title in 2004 it's it's going to be 15 years since she won that US Open this year I commentated on that as well let's see how old that I am that was the year that I first went to the US Open as a fan yeah the year that Kuznetsova won she would it. have been 18 at the mm. time um it's a great longevity from her and and here she's is it was it a wrist injury she's had over the last couple of years because she'd been in a terrible way i remember when she qualified for the wto finals knocking out joe conta three years ago it was right at the last minute she was playing the most wonderful stuff and then she i thought she would probably win a slam the following year at some point and uh, and then eventually she got struck down by this injury and I, I thought she might be done uh, you know at that age and and this week she's beaten Severstova, Yastremska saving two match points, Sloane Stevens, Karolina Pliskova from 3-6-3-5 down and then Ash Barty in the semis to get to the final. Fantastic. Yeah, I found it really uplifting seeing what she was doing this week. I have to say, I th- I thought she probably was done. I remember so, uh, we follow her on Instagram, don't we? And sort of her Instagram over the past six months has not looked like, I know this is falling into the trap of assuming that what you're seeing on social media is 100% of the person and what they're doing doing with their lives, whereas actually it's the 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 best one percent or the most glamorous one percent but it didn't look like she was um one on her way back to becoming a professional tennis player again it looked like somebody that was just enjoying life away from tennis so I'd kind of framed her out of my thoughts of 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 current tennis and then here she suddenly is being brilliant and we were watching um in the prime video studios we were obviously covering the the men's event in Cincinnati but myself Daniela and and Greg were watching bits and bobs of of the women's in the in the studio and they were just well they were reminiscing really about how they used to think and talk about Kuznetsova when she first broke onto the scene in in the mid noughties and they both agreed that she she had had and has absolutely everything they both said well, she should she should have been number 1 you know she's just Bags of talent, wonderful ball striker. Um, yeah, they're just glorying in her in her game. And I, it's hard to think of her as an underachiever because she's a two-time Grand Slam champion, but it's possible that she could have been an awful lot more than that. And maybe that's what's driving her on to make this comeback because she looks a fearsome prospect. And it took something as spectacular as Madison Keys to, to take her out yesterday. And I think a lot of people who've followed her career really closely were saying that this is the fittest and leanest she's almost ever looked. Um, 
I was I was watching back some of that 2004 run to the US Open title. And what struck me then is how then she seemed really, really powerful. She had this huge forehand, which she still has a big forehand, but it doesn't seem quite as big in comparison to a lot of the players today. Like, for example, Madison Keys had the power advantage in that final. But Kuznetsova, even though she's 34, has managed to figure out ways to sort of stick around in points and use movement and fitness as, as a strength. Um, and you don't often see that with, from a 34-year-old. Um, and actually, I was looking at some of the some of the numbers and she was she was really bucking the trend if she'd won this title because so many of well all of the big events on the WTA tour this year have, have been won by players less than 30 the oldest winner of a what you'd call a big event the premier events and the slams is Petra Kvitova 29 and Andreescu the youngest at 18 in Indian Wells and the average age is 24 because so, Nets for 10 years older than that average age and yet wow. she didn't look or feel out of place because her tennis was so good um, and obviously it's just interesting to compare that to the men I haven't crunched the numbers for the men but I imagine the average with Federer, Nadal and Djokovic winning so many is, is up in the 30s but so she's managing to compete with people 10 years, 10 years younger than her which I just think shows the strength, the natural talent that she still has in, mm. in her game. And actually that forehand of her, she hits with a heck of a lot of spin. Mm, it it, does. It's one of those that you think is going out a lot of the time. Yeah. You could imagine a, a line umpire's calling it out and then suddenly it just drops. Um, it'd be great if she could have a run and at the US Open. And she's also had this amazing, well, quite sort of sad story really in that she was denied denied her u.s visa for so long it meant it meant she couldn't defend her washington title yeah and she put it and she put it out on twitter which i think was quite smart because didn't the didn't the u.s embassy or something get involved and said right we're gonna i think so and she was asked what's been the key to you uh playing so well this week in cincinnati and she said well getting my visa yeah It, yeah, it doesn't half help, does it? Yeah. She uh, so many sort of nice touches like that to to the story of Svetlana Kuznetsova this week. I mean, her press conferences and interviews are and always have been an absolute joy, haven't they? And and people have been sort of posting some of her best bits <laughs> from the last what fifteen years on tour on Twitter, um, and also um, she thanked Daria Kazakina in her speech yesterday because Kazakina lent her her coach yeah. for the week. Carlos Martinez, I think yeah. he's called. And yeah. yeah, he's just started coaching Kazakina. Svetlana, because Netsfer was like, well, <laughs> I need a coach. So they're kind of coach sharing him. For yeah, and she yeah. said, thank you. Thank you, Dash, or whatever it is. You know why. Well, I think she's he was her coach for a long time, yeah. wasn't yes. he? Yeah. yeah. And and they and they communicate in Spanish. She's completely fluent in in Spanish, um, and she's also renamed Finding Nemo. Did you see that? Yes, looking for Nemo. Looking for Nemo <laughs> <laughs> because she because she says she has a memory like Dory, and that she, she forgets. She can't remember things. the name yeah. of Finding Nemo. Yeah, <laughs> I will forever be calling it Looking for Nemo from now on. I think. Uh, yeah i I mean this might not work in podcast form but somebody tweeted a a transcript from an interview she did uh, a little while ago during wimbledon actually this year and she's just so fantastically honest she said what do you uh what when are you happiest she said when i win matches and when i'm close to people i love and my dog great top-notch answer is better (laughs) um is there something you wouldn't mind being woken up for in the middle of the night an emergency (laughs) 
then the interviewer says, other people told me they don't mind waking up for Federer and Nadal match. I said what I said. <laughs> so good. She's great. She's great value. So and it's great to have her she back. She prioritises dogs and sleep. Yeah. Sounds like... Yeah. Kindred spirits over yeah. here. All the good things. <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, so that's the uh, the final of the women's tournament. Um, what else have we had? In the men's tournament, we had Daniel Medvedev finally winning it. He, he got to the final of Washington and lost to Kyrgios. More of him later. Uh, he got to the final of um, Montreal and he lost to Rafael Nadal, who didn't play Cincinnati. And then you had this, this run for Medvedev in... Cincinnati where you're wondering whether he's going to be on fumes is he going to have nothing left you talked about him last week didn't you about you you'd, you'd been there on finals day and there was never a sort of flicker of a suggestion that he wasn't going to go to Cincinnati or that he might be too tired for it or whatever and if we fast forward he gets through to to face Novak Djokovic now I saw the first point of this match and I thought Djokovic just looks in the most perfect form even just in the first point, everything was coming out of the center of the strings. And he, he went 6-3, up three games all, love 30 on Medvedev's serve. By this time, I was asleep. I I couldn't stay up that late because, you know, I'm a, I'm a need on beauty sleep. David Law's experiencing school holidays, yes. folks. <laughs> yeah, it's quite tiring, isn't it? Um, and uh, And then I wake and just watch it back and... I saw something in Medvedev I've never seen before. Now, he says he's done this throughout his career. I, if, if he's not winning by going toe-to-toe, uh, playing his consistent brand of tennis, then he will serve first and second serves with a first serve and just go for it. Now, I'd never really noticed that before until this match. And at Love 30, he suddenly started bombing down 125-mile-an-hour second serves like Kyrgios or Philippoussis would and making them. And he just ripped the match out of Djokovic's hands. Well, as Djokovic put it, he played roulette and he won, which I think, I mean, it's not necessarily wrong i think i think there's more to it than that it was a fantastically astute tactical change and actually i i don't understand why that tactic is not deployed more often if you're being crushed on your second serve what 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 is there to lose by by going for it you know if your stats are sort of i think he was at 35% points one on the second serve is and if you're serving first serve percentage higher than that it's a no-brainer, surely. And I asked Daniela about it and she said, it's just courage. She said, quite often that thought will cross your mind as a player and you'll think that's probably the smart thing to do. And it's just so counter to everything your everything your muscle memory is telling you to do that you just can't quite bring yourself to actually action it. But not Daniil Medvedev. He's, he's got real character, hasn't he? He's got so much about him that's, that's good. And... Uh, it with that I mean that's his signature move now, isn't it? Nick Kyrgios has the ask people. I mean, he's got other signature moves <laughs> of which more to come. Um, Nick Kyrgios has got the ask people in the crowd where I should serve, and Medvedev's got the hundred and twenty mile five mile per hour second serve ace. It's great, love it. Have I think you- I think the danger with that tactic is that it could get even worse. Like if you did, if you start missing your second serves at 130 miles an hour, 
it's it's going to go downhill extremely quickly and you're going to almost look a bit like you're tanking in a way if you're just doing that and getting it wrong but to have the courage to do it and get it so right was what I thought was so impressive but it did kind of leave me thinking and that phrase from Djokovic he played roulette and he won Djokovic would back himself to play his style of tennis and perform at a high level over five sets and he will also trust that Medvedev can't keep that up over five sets and that's that's almost what the big three have done they yeah. they, they take you out of your comfort zone and they, he, they, he they force you to play a way which is high risk and but let's not forget though Djokovic has also got his own other gear mm. his own roulette wheel he didn't have it on move. on Saturday no he doesn't he, does, he, he saves but, it now but think about it when he's backed into a corner Djokovic mm. is when he often will shock you. Mm. You don't see it coming. He does Absolutely. have another level. And I, I, that, I agree that with everything you're saying. I think, Federer. And I, th- I think that's why he didn't sound too concerned mm. by the loss on Saturday on Saturday night. He really, he just sort of shrugged it off and said, I mean, the subtext seemed to be, good luck doing that over five yeah. sets, buddy. Um, yeah, he, he just, he was very accepting of it really considering how you know Simon Reed described it in commentary he said he's been mugged <laughs> and that is how it felt he was he was absolutely sublime Djokovic in total control Medvedev wasn't playing badly he was just not not able to get close to the world number 1 playing in his absolute pomp Medvedev calls the trainer then receives some treatment for what Hannah Wilkes on Twitter described as acute lack of bicep, <laughs> which is my favourite thing ever. It was, it was amazing. Like he, like the trainer literally touched his arm and he went, ow, ow. Yeah. Which is exactly what I would have done. <laughs> yeah. Regardless. Also, but it hurt on also it. made me ponder on how rare a bicep injury is in tennis. Never see people get bicep treatment. Anyway, um, so there he is getting a light prod to his bicep, <laughs> not enjoying it at all. Um, and then suddenly everything changes. So, uh, it, 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 I mean, yeah, I can't remember what my original point was. I'm just thinking about whether I can think of any other bicep injuries. <laughs> Anyone ever had a bicep injury? I haven't had one myself. I don't know if that's because it's a particularly robust part of the body or whether it's because it's not a particularly significant part of the body for tennis. I also suffer from the the acute lack of... Same, yeah. (laughs) He said that... He said after the match that um, he was finding that, again, it was a big talking point over the US Open series. The heaviness of the balls was what was provoking the problems with his arms. Rafa wasn't happy with the heaviness of the balls in Djokovic had got an elbow issue yeah exactly everyone is really unhappy with the balls that are used at the uh, during the US Open series and they're of course different balls to the Wilson ones that are used at the US Open that's just plain weird it is weird isn't it and it's this I believe it's a deal that's been done but you can understand the players not being happy I think I'm right in saying it's changing next year is it okay great so I, th- I think they're going to be there's going to be consistency of balls during the U.S. Open series oh, and good. then at the U.S. Open, but it does seem like I mean obviously we're all kind of outsiders in terms of tennis ball. Tennis ball is a tennis ball, but they're not. But it does seem madness that they don't use the same ones kind of throughout yeah. the year, really. And let alone throughout a little swing like that. Yeah, and if you know 
pundits and players seem pretty much in consensus uh, that it's it's a fairly significant factor and it is a big caveat when you when you're trying to analyze form and favorites and people that may or may not be mm. in the mix <laughs> going into the US Open you know when we were trying to discuss that in the in the prime studio every every time greg would say yeah but remember the balls balls are different and that's a that's a big thing particularly if it if the if the conditions the heat and humidity become a factor um so it it's annoying there was a mad moment in the women's final where they played a game with the men's balls because the men because the men and the women have different balls and they they yes. got new balls and they played a game with the wrong ones oh, and keys i don't think keys noticed and then it went down the other end for kuznetsova to serve and she was like these are the wrong ones and key and then oh, keys was like goodness. oh that was what i missed oh, dear. <laughs> um that is that's bizarre and there was a delay to the men's final because the the net they couldn't find that there was a broken net. Yeah. Superb filling, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> you got through that really well. <laughs> oh, players are in the corridor. They're raring to go. Oh, players are, players are going back into the locker room. What's, let's have a chat. What are they doing? <laughs> yeah, let's talk uh, about tennis. So I've run a pole vault. Oh. Um, you'll be pleased to know. And uh, the pole vault is, who do you expect will have the better US Open? Roger Federer or Daniel Medvedev? Well, I asked this of the pundits in the Prime Studio because uh, Greg Rosetsky went big on um, Federer-related US Open predictions. He went big early. Of course, Federer uh, won one match in Cincinnati against Juan Londero, looked okay, looked as good as he needed to be, then lost his second match to Andre Rublev. Brilliant Andre Rublev, it has to be said, and he's had a tough time and I'm pleased to see him um, on the way back but it was his quickest loss 62 minutes since 2003 yes Sydney 2003 which is an extraordinary stat Um, so I asked Greg is Roger Federer in the mix for the US Open you know the way she starts branching the mix out to other outlets casually drop it in now hey it works as a punditry device because punchy Greg said no Roger Federer not in the mix. He asked for clarification of the mix. He said, in the mix to reach the semi-finals. Yes, I said, no, Greg. The mix. <laughs> uh, yeah. The mix equals win the title. And he mm. said, no. We still haven't got an and official uh, yesterday when pressed further on on uh, on the mix, and I asked him whether Medvedev was in it, and he said, a tentative yes. Okay, then. So I've asked you two. What do you think? Is Medvedev in the no, mix? No, I'm asking you, who is going to have the oh. better US Open out of Roger Federer and Daniel Medvedev? I've got results. Oh. 600 votes so far after Matt a couple of Matt and I have talked about this, and we think the draw for Roger Federer is incredibly crucial because he's essentially going in completely cold, isn't he? So he needs a kind few opening rounds to play himself in. I think he's going to be susceptible quite early on. You're looking at me like... Uh, the, the, yeah. the idea, I know, I know. I know that's idea, not an answer, but we haven't seen the draw. The idea that Roger Federer... How many times has he won it? Five times. Yeah, but he's not won it for 11 the years. The idea that he, having come out of Wimbledon, years. having had match point against Novak Djokovic, having won 20 Grand Slams, is not in the mix to win the title this year is absurd. It's ludicrous. He is. I, I agree. I 
for me he's in the mix mm. and he is and and if you ask me uh, and I'm going to ask myself uh, whether he's going to have a better US Open than Daniel Medvedev. How many of those 600 and whatever people are you? Well, I find... <laughs> you're only allowed the, do you have, You're Daniel? only allowed the one vote. Um, and uh, actually, for a long time, it was 52-48, which I found very interesting. Now it's 55 Federer, 45 Medvedev. I would... I mean, look, I'd say Federer every time mm. because Medvedev, as wonderfully as he's playing, he's just totally unproven at that level. And and he... I don't know what he's going to do over best of five. Um, coming off a run like this, he's never done it before. He's he's a builder, I think, Medvedev, isn't he? And, and the next step from winning a Masters, it, for him, I don't think is winning a slam. It's doing better at a slam than he has done before. He's never reached the quarterfinal at a slam. Would probably expect him to do that now. That would be a, That would be a next step for him. But, I mean... I think people are reading way too much into Federer's Cincinnati loss, to we, be honest. I mean, to be honest, it's it's very hard not to end up reading too but, much into these but, events. Well, we've got nothing else to read into, though. That's the problem. I don't... If he now had another... Got 20 years to read into. If he now had another event to play before the US Open, I wouldn't be worried about him because, you know, it's a week in isolation. What I worry about is him going in mm. cold. I, I do agree. I think he needs he needs a kind couple of rounds, but I think... You know, chances are he'll get that. I don't see a huge number of floaters who aren't. When was seeded. the last time he really struggled in early rounds? Well, f- it was fourth round against John Millman last year. No, it year. was. I mean, I think I think he's a, and unless something's changed between now and Wimbledon, he's in a way better place than he was a year ago. I think physically, so. I yes, think mentally, I think possibly everything. not mentally. We d- there are still still question marks about. Wimbledon hangover mm. surely and I think he he's... 62 minutes David I know I just I just think he, I mean look he's going to play best of five set matches early on uh, at the US Open so he can get his eye in he was I mean I think the the conditions I would actually think are something we we probably have to consider because of the way he lost last year mm. the, yeah. the state of him I mean so I've never me seen off the him court, didn't he? I think, think he so. was sweating bullets and he looked so he looked like an old man in that in that match so and that's I, the one question mark I would have as well I think, I think he's talked about that since they put the roof on Ash he, he's not a huge fan yeah. of those conditions anymore it's kind of sticky and hot and and also I think he schedules his year now to peak for Wimbledon, I think I think he always has, but particularly in the last few years. But and do you remember last year when I interviewed him before the, the US, US Open? The he said the US Open was always the priority this year, like like um, Halep at like, Wimbledon. Yeah, yeah. Dobre. When did you do that interview? Um, Media Day US Open last year. He uh, said okay. US. It's been ten years since I won mm. this one. This was always oh, the wow. target this year. That's great, great line. Um, okay, I mean. He might just have been saying that because he'd yeah. lost to Kevin Anderson at Wimbledon yeah. and it was a way mentally of trying to get over that, what mm. must have been a very heartbreaking loss. But, yeah, I did find it interesting at the time. Okay. Well, we'll have lots more of this sort of chat when we do our draw um, retrospective on a Saturday. Is Medvedev the one of the... I mean, I know he's 23, therefore not next-gen, but you know what I mean when yeah. I say next-gen. Is he the one you would have going furthest at the US Open? Probably. Uh, I still... 
I still am such a massive believer in Sitsipas that I think that he he can pull it together. But I think he has just scheduled himself in a way that is starting to hurt him now. Alexander Zverev, bookie's fourth favourites. Favourite. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah. I think I the mean, next Bjorn Borg goes. Don't, don't Me- dismiss Me- the next Bjorn Borg. Medvedev reminds me of Zverev at the end of last year with that serve and the ground strokes, and it's like he's just suddenly become him. And Zverev, Zverev was the last player outside of the big three, big four, to have a run similar to what Medvedev's just had, except he did it last year on the clay in the build-up to Paris. But that never felt like it would be transferable to Paris because you've got Nadal. Um, whereas it does the US Open has been the one where people have kind of muscled in a bit Chilich, Del Potro, Wawrinka Um, but but by my own definition of the mix I can't put Medvedev in it so your mix is two three it's the big three because our definition of the mix is you wouldn't be surprised if he won it I still would be surprised if Medvedev Mm. won the US Open it feels like such a big step Mm. still to take I think he's definitely not next gen but team I would still possibly have as potentially doing better than Medvedev I think he's done nothing though I mean I really I totally understand when I when I was in Montreal and I saw the way he spoke about winning in in Kitchball I mean I still I think Mm. he's probably still lying in bed at night cuddling (laughs) that trophy I mean it means everything to him winning Kitchball I understand why he's played there and played on clay at a 250 after Wimbledon but I really think that hurts him I really do and I don't I don't know how he's gonna he's obviously never gonna not play kitschball mm. um for the greater good of tennis I wish he wouldn't but I I do understand but he's done nothing I just feel like over the best of five sets Medvedev could just get bullied out of matches um and worn down by a Chorich or someone that the people peak he, at these things you know? Medvedev's kind of having the year I thought Chorich might have mm. I thought mm. last year I thought Chorich would be the one to kind of step up especially on hard courts but he's had a lot of injuries and struggles but Medvedev has kind of filled that void I just yeah. think I just think team, I back him over five sets physically more than I would probably Medvedev. And I think he quite likes those hard courts. Well, that's what made me say, David threw out on our Kiri-Optimists chat, Mm -hmm. which has not been Kiri-Optimistic this week. That needs a swift rename. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Who do you think uh, is, did you use the term next gen, David? How did you put it? I don't think this was me. I think your brother said this. Oh, did he? I don't know. Um, who, uh, who of, who, no, it was you. <laughs> <laughs> of course it was. David says so much. Who oh, would man. you go with for the next new male Grand Slam champion? Oh, yeah, I did do that. Yeah. You did that on Twitter as well. <laughs> did oh, yeah. you? <laughs> I forgot that. <laughs> oh, you're running out of material. I've got so many poles running around my head at the moment. And put to... the first name that sprung to my mind was Hatchinov. I don't know. Blimey. Because of the best of five that sets thing, he's the most physically capable, I, I think, I'm, over I'd the still, best of five sets. I'd still sets. go Sitsabas. See, I'd go team. No, oh. he is. Oh, but, sorry. Is yeah, he no. next gen? No, That's, no, next gen was not in the question. So, yes, you're allowed time. to go to team, yeah. yeah but the, the team's only ever going to win the French Open. So, you know, he's just yeah. going to keep running into the that, yeah. That's the problem. But... I mean, he won Indian Wells. He can play on a hard court. He knocked Federer off the court. He needs there to be a Grand Slam after 
Indian Wells and Miami, mm. though, because I really, yeah, I'm just rehashing what I just said, but the run into the US Open doesn't work for him. Mm. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Let's explain why we're not Kiri optimists anymore. <laughs> uh, Nick Kyrgios played a match uh, a few nights ago. Who was he playing? Uh, he was playing Hatchinov. Hatchinov, yeah, and he was set up. He was, um, I think, he went five four up in the second set as well. He had, I think, four three and love thirty at one stage on Hatchinov serve. Uh, and all, all everything was going swimmingly. Now, of course, I mean, Catherine shouldn't really be on this podcast because she declared that she was not going to be on it unless she got to see Kyrgios against Djokovic. And so we're we're basically waiting for Kyrgios to just you know tidy up this final game and set up Djokovic against Kyrgios. Didn't happen. Um, for some reason, um, Kyrgios started to get annoyed. Uh, at his perception of when umpire Fergus Murphy was starting the shot clock when he was serving after a serve and felt he was Murphy was doing it way too quickly. He didn't get warned for a time violation at this point, but it, it really rattled him, really got him wound up, and he just started having it out with Fergus Murphy in a, a one-sided dialogue which just carried on and carried on and carried on. He ended up losing the second set, Kyrgios. He went off the court saying that he'd gone for a bathroom break, um, but he didn't go for a bathroom break. He went into the corridor just outside the court and he smashed two rackets into the wall. Uh, he then came back with those two broken rackets, threw them on the floor, shouted out um, into the air, you're the worst effing ref ever, um, and other sorts of, of comments. Um, carried on through this process throughout the next four games, which went to two games all. And then Hatchinov won the last four games in nine minutes, which probably tells you 
its own story in terms of those particular facts. As Kyrgios was coming off the court, uh, he shook hands with Hatchinov, walked towards Fergus Murphy and said, you are an effing tool, bro. Uh, you can fill in what word I've left out. And he sort of spat into the air, um, not onto the umpire, but in his direction. Um, at which point he got given the following day a fine of, I think, $113,000 for six separate offences, I think it was, in the end, several of them being unsportsmanlike conduct. Um, it caused, as per usual, a lot of conversation. Kyrgios has since put up a what is actually quite a funny and clever little video showing the time uh, he takes between serves and the shot clock running compared to Nadal and one of the big gripes he had on the court was that Nadal gets treated differently and that he plays a completely different sport and it's not fair. Um, thoughts, people? <laughs> oh, so many thoughts. Um, well, he behaved appallingly, didn't he? He behaved appallingly. He is... Um, I mean... Uh, yeah. <laughs> what else is there to say? What, I, what else is there to say? He behaved accordingly. All this, everybody wants to package up their feelings on Nick Kyrgios as a tennis presence into into a one liner. He's good for tennis. He's bad for tennis. He's he's appalling. He's electrifying. Whatever. He's not. He's all of those things. He. Um, he can be on aggregate good for tennis and still have elements about him that are terrible for tennis and terrible for him personally. And I mean, I, I think there are, I think there are underlying psychological issues which explain his behaviour, but they don't excuse it. Um, I think he's really troubled I think he's unable to deal with I think it's a reaction to winning in Washington and the expectation then that comes with that I don't I just don't think he can handle anyone in his life having any expectations of him let alone external people outside of his life but none of that excuses the way he deals with it um, and turns it on turns it on it's it's one thing to it's one thing to tank it's one thing to to smash your rackets and behave childishly it's another thing to bully somebody which is what he did to Fergus Murphy out there incidentally not that it's hugely relevant but I think Fergus Murphy's been one of the most lenient umpires with him over the years he's always kind of had his back and tried to you know within the confines of the rules I think but he's not been one of those that's been strictly applying the letter of the law to, to which, Nick Kyrgios in a headmasterly kind of way. I mean, sometimes Fergus and Fergus is not somebody who's afraid to have a go back at players. No. He's done it with a lot of players. And actually with Kyrgios, I've felt that he really has pulled back on that, probably because he knows that it can inflame him. Yeah, um, I think he's managed Kyrgios really well over over the years. And I think sometimes that can involve going a, a little bit more gently but yeah to see him bully Fergus Murphy the way that he did and I'm sure Fergus Murphy can handle himself and isn't crying himself to sleep over it but that's 
that's not the point. It was nasty and unpleasant and entitled and and rightly punishable by the biggest single fine he's had to date. I believe the ATP are considering further sanctions. That's going to be very interesting because if he were to receive a ban, it would apply to Labour Cup. Labour Cup is now an ATP sanctioned event. Kyrgios is a big deal in Labour Cup. They've already announced him. They've already put his name up in light. Federer is invested in the Labour Cup. This is when all of these factors and little nuances behind the scenes in the mechanisms of uh, of tennis governance come into play. And there's also the fact that a ban won't necessarily have any impact at all. He's been he's been banned before, hasn't he? He was in 2016, I think he he received a suspended ban. Um, it was mandated that he'd have to see a sports psychologist, did all of that. Nothing's changed. Mm. The highs are getting higher and the lows are getting lower, I yeah, think. And that's that's well put, actually. Um, and he, um, when all this was going on, you get the inevitable, is he good for tennis, is he bad for tennis conversation, which I just, I'm just totally bored of because I don't care. I don't care whether he's good for tennis or not. In that particular moment, he went and abused a man just doing his job to his face. And that was inexcusable. You can come up with anything you like. That is not on. It's not okay. And uh, I, I I found it very interesting to, to listen to the interview that Andy Murray conducted in which he, he's quite happy to say. He's a, he's, he gets on well with Nick. He sees a lot of things from his perspective. He likes him. He wants the, wants the good things for him. But that was not okay the way he treated Fergus Murphy on that occasion. And he said, in his words, I did not enjoy watching that third set. And that's exactly how I felt uh, all the way through it. I, all the feelings of joy that you get from watching Kyrgios above and everybody else, because he has this, this wonderful gift of connecting with people and, and doing things that nobody else can do. But he also has a way of depressing you when he behaves like that. And I think the problem that the authorities have is – where you can't, I don't feel you can take into account what's the good things he brings to the game when you're adjudicating over something like this. You have to look at the offence, and you can't say to tennis, "Yeah, but he's good for the game in other ways." We can't be doing no. You've got to make the right decision, and he needs to, and the people around him need to be able to find a way to get him to be his best self more often uh, in order to handle it, or or not. His alternative is to not and therefore to, to keep having these incidents or, or just not be relevant. And it, it's so often umpires that kind of get him going. He seems to have a real problem with authority. And, you know, you mentioned that social media post. There's no, there's no hint of remorse about him at all. I mean, he had completely bullied Fergus Murphy. And I just imagine now the umpires, I don't know how it works, they get, they get the rotor, oh, I'm on Kyrgios. You know, it's like going into work and knowing that you have to deal with this kind of nasty colleague every all the time. It must be soul-destroying. And there's not a hint of remorse. He felt wronged. He didn't seem to accept that he'd done anything wrong. Um, but, but I do think the way that Twitter and social media just explodes whenever something to do with Kyrgios happens, it's almost like tennis can't really handle him because, as you say, like, so many people want to have a categorical definitive view on Kyrgios. It's like you hear a lot of people say, oh, you love him or you hate him. I don't feel like that at all. I feel so conflicted about him. And yet 
you see people on Twitter put out things like, oh, it's fine, it's Kyrgios. He can do what he wants. Or it's Kyrgios, he's terrible. People seem to have this black and white view that I don't really get and I don't think works with someone like Kyrgios. You have to kind of try to understand him. You can't just box him and package him and talk about him in black and white terms. It's bizarre, um, isn't it? I wonder if... I, I've i been pondering on whether that's a social media thing, whether that would have been the case before social media or whether the, it's this whole 142 characters mm. thing encourages us to want to have these easily packageable black and white views about people because it's just so not applicable to, to Nick Kyrgios mm. that it, you, you end up boxed in a corner that you're... you're you, you know, you watch what happened in Washington and you think that's brilliant. That doesn't mean you're not allowed or able to criticise what he did in Cincinnati. How can mm. you not criticise what he did in Cincinnati this week? He spat in the face of of a colleague. He spat in the face of a colleague. I mean, not literally in his face, but in his direction. Yeah. No I mean, the, the, there is no scenario no. elsewhere in the world where that would be... Uh, behaviour that we'd considered and defending. He, and he, he might say, well, yeah, I mean, the, the world we're in, everybody's got an opinion and everybody throws them in. I mean, look, 30 years ago, this would have been big newspaper-type headlines and he wouldn't necessarily have a clear right to reply the way he does with his 1.2 million Instagram mm. followers. So uh, there are pros and cons in that regard. Um, what What was interesting is in terms of... What he does now, in terms of, we've had last year at the US Open his incident with Mohamed Laani, which led to Laani being laid off matches when Laani was viewed as being too sympathetic visually on court and, and kind of almost talking him through his, his funk on the court, um, and that being inappropriate. And, and, it, and then we've had this ESPN documentary about the Serena Williams against the umpire uh, that has just launched over the last 24 hours and a lot of discussion uh, I saw an article in the New York, New York Times saying that Serena won't be umpired at the US Open by Carlos Ramos because of that incident and and it got into a quite a discussion point about is it appropriate for players to request that an umpire doesn't do their matches and and how does that system work? I mean, I got into a, a little bit of a discussion with Rene Stubbs, the uh, former doubles world number one and a, a very good commentator these days, um, somebody who who who's always interesting to to listen to. I, I didn't agree with her on this particular situation. I mean, I'm, she said that she'd three times in her career she had requested over the course of 22 years she'd requested that a, an umpire not do her matches and that that had been granted and that that is absolutely correct in her view now i think that that is i, th I think it's fine to ask i don't do not think that should be granted personally because i think that that opens a precedent for for anybody to 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 say i've got a problem with an umpire and where do you draw the line my understanding, and this is from a few years ago and not necessarily f official, but my understanding was that umpires had a no list, a, a list of players that they, not necessarily a, an immovable no list, but a list of players whose matches they wouldn't be put on for whatever reason, not necessarily as requested by the players just because of previous incidents or aggro or unpleasantness, yeah. anything. Um, I didn't think i i didn't realize or think that it was the case that players could just 
request not to have an umpire on their matches. And I think what strikes me as most uncomfortable about that setup, if that is the case, is that quite obviously there's going to be a power imbalance Mm. there. Serena Williams requests not to have a certain umpire on her match. No one's saying no. Rebecca Peterson requests not to have an umpire on her match. It's probably not going to be treated with the same gravitas and that isn't... Fair. Well, I've been in touch with Enrique Molina, who's uh, a former Grand Slam final chair umpire and also head of officiating at the International Tennis Federation for, for a number of years. These days, he's he's an agent to people like Feliciano Lopez, somebody we know well. We've had him on the podcast last year, actually after the US Open incident with Serena and Carlos Ramos, and uh, that's still available to listen to if you'd like to listen to Enrique. I asked him, players requesting umpires not to cover their matches, should this be allowed? He said, I know that the ATP in the past allowed that, but I have always tended to to disagree. Instead, it is best to enforce the umpire's no list, by which the umpire themselves put down the players that they have had a recent big conflict or issue with. Like that, you will avoid unnecessary controversy right from the start. I asked him whether he'd ever received the sort of abuse that Fergus had taken and how he reacted. Um, Because, I mean... I don't think I could stand there and take that. I, I would have to say something back. I'm not going to be spoken to like that. And I, I also think, and I'm, I'm certainly not have, trying to have a go at Hatchinov here, but I think if I heard somebody speak to somebody else like that, I would have to intervene. I don't think I could just stand there and, and, and ignore that. But can you that. imagine how dreadfully that would have gone? Yeah, I, I, I understand. I understand. <laughs> it could it could go make it inflame the situation, all that sort of thing. I don't think I could stand there and watch that. Um Enrique said, I only saw bits of the match. I've been in many heated arguments, but don't recall any as such. Sometimes I had fired back to players, but uh, so to speak. He said, normally umpires are trained not to take things personally and on their shoulders. It is a psychological game in the end where you definitely want to ensure that there is mutual respect and within certain limits. The key is to play one card at a time so the whole situation doesn't blow up. But at the end of the day, if the player decides to go over the line, the code of conduct is there to help. I also asked him um, about the situation with regards to, to Carlos Ramos not doing... Serena Williams matches and what his his thoughts were about that he said I'm not sure if Carlos had umpired Serena last year but I don't think it would be the right place to make a comeback he should definitely do her matches again not just because he handled her extremely difficult circumstances well on that day but also because he is one of the best umpires but taking into account uh, the other that there are other top umpires that can do her matches in New York and diffuse any unnecessary drama and controversy, it's probably best that he doesn't do her matches there. Yeah, because that would be the story, wouldn't it? Mm. And I don't think that's fair on him as much as anything. So that make that makes sense to me. He, he does say that players' views on whether an umpire should do their matches should be heard and referees should analyse what may have happened in the past. But... You know, you you can't have players just determining who's umpiring a match. I mean, I'm trying to think in football, you can't just get a a, a team's manager saying, I don't want that referee doing my match. I would also say with Fergus Murphy and Kyrgios situation, that could have been anyone. He he needed that. It's all about Kyrgios, isn't it? He needed something. Something happened. He needed something to release the absolute mess of psychology that was happening 
um, in his mind and body and he found the nearest host being on which to project that um, and it could have been anybody. It could have been a set of white towels as it was in, was that in Montreal that he took yes, it out on the white right. towels? Mm-hmm. It, it's It's all about what's going on inside the unfathomable brain of Nick Kyrgios. Um, yeah, I look forward to, you know, him drawing Djokovic first round of the US Open and us <laughs> he can't, talking can he? about how brilliant that's going to be. I think he's, he's seeded, he's seeded now. now. Oh, yeah, like, okay. could, you know, He's got to win two rounds. <laughs> it could happen in round four. Oh, God, he's going to lose to Guido Pella round one, isn't he? <laughs> oh, it's all happening. Um, just a, just one quite final thought here. Um today is is on the subject of Bianca Andreescu who didn't play Cincinnati and we actually had you know a handful of responses from from our listeners who weren't happy with our description of her as a, as a drama queen quite interesting and and feel that we were a bit too hard on her um i personally don't feel that it was said in a negative fashion um i i say it with quite an affection really i like the fact that she's a She's just not bothered <laughs> what, yeah. what people think. We like drama. <laughs> David likes aggro more than he likes forehands and backhands. And yet, we I, can bestow no greater honour on it, a player. But I suppose what we're saying is I must like pantomime aggro because I didn't enjoy that from Kyrgios the other night. That was an aggro, though. That was just nasty. Yeah. Mm. Fascinating. Aggro is... Medvedev being asked what his relationship with Tsitsipas is and saying there's no relationship. <laughs> and then doing that ATP cards against humanity thing together. Yes, which is great hashtag content. It is really, <laughs> it is. really great. Um I think that demonstrated you give you give team a chance not to say anything and they will take it. Also <laughs> <laughs> well also in that the the clip of Milos Raonic flossing and if, if yeah oh yeah that's, if you've seen that yeah, before that's his harlem shake uh, that he did at the monte carlo player party that about 10 years ago burned my eyes <laughs> fantastic <laughs> oh so that's that. 10 years old well, it's a, quite a few years old i quite like sort of dark horse milos round showing another I side to himself i can't forget it and i really want to i've got it on my bag if you want to have another watch <laughs> it's really good right were you present for it or something? No, I've just kept watching the clip. <laughs> it's one of those clips, you know. You just get, like Nishikori doing the that drop at that uh, in Cincinnati. Strange. Do you see that video? Was that like a bungee jump? I think it, it was at Kings Island, the brilliant, brilliant theme park, uh, <laughs> just across the road from the Linda Family Tennis Centre in Cincinnati. But yeah, it was just Kei Nishikori in some sort of harness. Just there's a countdown, three, two, one. There's a oh kind of noise, and then suddenly the floor opens and he drops through it. Oh dear! N- never to be seen again. Well, until like when he emerged eventually. There was some symbolism there I thought, yeah. in, that, in that video. <laughs> yeah. oh dear. It was amazing. For okay. Anyway, he'll be back as part of the draw. Is he in the mix? He's on the boat. Don't know, uh, but he'll be at the US Neither. Open. Kyrgios's new thing, by the way is his new Andy Murray is Daniil Medvedev. Have you noticed that? Oh, yeah. Best buds. He blooming loves Daniil Medvedev. So we've got a, we've got Kyrgios and Tsitsipas used to, used to hate one another, or Kyrgios certainly used to not like Tsitsipas. Uh, and now they're best buddies. We've got Kyrgios and Kyrgios, who 
it, oh, I mean, as far as I can tell, it looks like one-way traffic to me. He just is sort of in love with Daniil Medvedev. <laughs> and then we've got Daniil Medvedev and Stefanos Tsitsipas, who don't get on at all. And we've also got them all on a private jet together from Washington to Montreal. Oh, the intrigue. It's, um, it's brilliant. Yeah, it's but, like reality TV. They're running rings around us, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. We don't know what to think. Well, uh, even, even before this week, when we were watching uh, the first round of Montreal with Kyrgios, I was watching it with my wife, and, and she sort of vaguely watches tennis from afar and listens to what I've got to say about it. And she said, it's like reality TV, isn't it? And <laughs> that, that is exactly what mm. it is. Um, but Speaking anyway. Speaking of which, I've got some breaking news for you. Oh, yeah? What's happening? Sloane Stevens tweeted two minutes ago, after much thought... At Sven Tennis and I, so Sven Grenevold, who is active on Twitter of late, should we say. At Sven Tennis and I have decided to go our separate ways. Change is never easy, but I'm so appreciative of our time together onward, exclamation mark. Mm, I wonder what will happen to So he's free to take a job on the UN or any other <laughs> sort of... All sorts of places. Peacekeeping... <laughs> What do you think he might like to do with I his free know. time? He probably find another spokesman for fill in the blanks. It's like Cards Against Humanity. He's he's been arguing a lot with a lot of people. Yeah, about that stuff, um, including me. Uh, so <laughs> that's all right. I quite like Sven. He's all right. Um, so right. Well, we've got another tennis podcast coming your way in a couple of days' time. And it is a big interview with the former coach of several of the best players we've seen in the last 30 or 40 years, Larry Stefanki. And uh, he's somebody I've wanted to interview for years because he was also always so entertaining, as Catherine shows me a picture of Andy Murray having a chat on uh, Twitter. Don't know what that's about, but he looks happy. Um, and in fact... Andy Murray is one of the people that tried to get Larry Stefanki as his coach on two separate occasions, which uh, I asked Larry all about and why he didn't do the job. Um, also spoke to him about what it was like working with a man that was headlined the most hated man in tennis, a.k.a. Marcelo Rios, uh, when he was world number one, what Yevgeny Kafelnikov was like to, to coach when he got him to world number one and uh, Australian Open glory and olympic glory as well andy roddick fernando gonzalez john McEnroe. these are all players that uh larry stefanki coached we talked about all of them and it's just i found i found it to be a great fun interview nothing to do with me it was him he, he's just one of those characters that once he starts talking you know you just can't stop listening um and that's coming your way i reckon on wednesday afternoon um so keep your eyes open for that we will then be back with our first of our daily tennis podcasts from flushy meadows in new york Catherine and i will be there Catherine today announced as the presenter of amazon prime videos uh, coverage in the uk over the next couple of weeks looking forward to it very much so Pumped. mary carillo also on the team yes yeah look at her face lighting up mary's <laughs> on the team which means we might be able to get another podcast with her fantastic uh prime have also got john mackino tim hemman uh martina navratilova fantastic group of uh, of former champions pundits people that uh, that you'll be hearing from if you're in the uk with Catherine presenting so that's uh, all good and we'll have daily podcasts for you after play every single day from the bar no doubt when Catherine and i are just sort of picking ourselves up from a day of coverage i'll be there for bbc radio five live as well um so we can't wait for that uh have i missed anything else 
well, Murray, I suppose, but he doesn't play till he plays midnight tonight, doesn't he? First yes. round in Winston Salem. That's right. Is this his first ever trip to Winston Salem? I think it probably is. North Carolina. Unless he just went there for a holiday, of an outing. Um, yeah, tennis sangren midnight tonight yes okay we'll be watching out for that uh we are brought to you in association with the telegraph we're executive produced by tennisballs.com our mascot is rio with a y the rain has stopped so i'm making a dash for the car before the next storm comes in um ahead of the us open if there's anybody you think might be interested in having a listen to a daily podcast where two or three people talk about tennis every day let them know it's one of the hundred best podcasts in the world yeah officially sort of yes according to uh the mail on sunday magazine uh what was it what were we called uh 100 podcasts you must hear something like that wasn't it most addictive yes that's what it was and uh you're our evidence Wild, of that. wildly popular yeah wildly popular that's what we were called yeah <laughs> i'd like that on my headstone <laughs> <laughs> okay i'll organize that uh except i suspect i'll be going before you <laughs> <laughs> Given my grey hair, uh, where we long for just got a bit dark. <laughs> it was really, it was, really bleak. It was, a, it was like the content Cincinnati did, where they were asking their players, "What did you get told off as as a kid?" And they were giving really sort of funny answers, running through fields of wheat. And they got to Sitsipas, and he said, "I got in trouble. I was meant to be looking after my my brother at the beach, and he disappeared. And they thought he'd been kidnapped. It just, just suddenly got so dark." Sorry about this, folks. I didn't realise this is going this direction. Um, Yeah, so more of this stuff every single day. (laughs) Throughout the US Open. What more could you want? Uh, Download us every day. Tell everybody you know, and we'll speak to you soon. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market